You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bills fans. Matt Warren, Editor-in-Chief of BuffaloRumlings.com and host of Buffalo Rumlings Q&A. I wanted to let you know you could call in your Bills questions for next week's episode and the episodes beyond that at 716-508-0405. As always, you can tweet us at Rumlings Q&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. Email buffalorumlings at sbnation.com. You can send us Instagram messages, Facebook messages, leave comments or questions on our show notes article at buffalorumlings.com when our show drops every Tuesday. Lots of ways to get your questions into us. As the Kansas City Chiefs have won the Super Bowl, the entire NFL is now in full off-season mode, and we actually have free agent news going on with the Buffalo Bills this week, even though it's kind of early for that. So uh, we've got lots of questions this week around all that. So stick around. We'll get to your Super Bowl questions. And as always, we'll talk a lot of Bills going forward. Let's start by heading to Twitter today. At the Kimmy Chu asks us, will the Bills make it to the Super Bowl? She initially had said the Bills will never make the Super Bowl. So let's kind of turn this around into a question about the Bills and in relation to the Super Bowl. How far away do I think the Bills are from the Super Bowl? I think they're a nice Josh Allen leap, an offensive surge from the Super Bowl. Uh, If you look back at, say, Rex Ryan's teams from the New York Jets, who made it to the AFC Championship game on great defense and a bumbling offense. I think if the Bills can take that next step beyond that and have a great defense with a solid offense, they don't even need to be a great offense. They can certainly make it to the Super Bowl. And you saw that a little bit from the San Francisco 49ers. They had a great running game, decent play from Jimmy Garoppolo, and were able to make it to the Super Bowl and have a really good shot at winning that Super Bowl. So I I think the Bills are in a position where they could potentially be opening their Super Bowl window as early as 2020. With with guys, a lot of their really good players under cheap rookie deals, whether you're talking about Josh Allen or Ed Oliver, Tremaine Edmonds, Tredavious White, the Bills have the cap space. They have the opportunity to take a big step in 2020. Uh, if they can add a couple key pieces, uh, a pass rusher, uh, maybe a guy to replace Lorenzo Alexander, uh, some some guys on the offense to really take that to the next level. I think they have the pieces in place to really make their first run in 2020. And it might sound crazy to say, and I'm usually a little bit more pragmatic than that, but if you look out, say, three or four years, they're not going to be able to keep that defense together because Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer are going to be getting too old. Jerry Hughes is going to be gone. Um, they're going to have to replace those guys, those players on rookie deals right now, like Edmonds, Milano, uh, 
Tredavious White, uh, Oliver, they're all going to be on their second contracts with, for bigger money. The Bills just aren't going to have the flexibility to keep that defense together for you know an indefinite period of time. If you look on the offense, guys like John Brown, Cole Beasley, they're going to be aging out as well. And so while there might be a lot of key pieces that are still in place, you know, you, you can see five years down the road how this team is going to look completely different. So I think in the next two or three years is really their window. And this year they got the playoff experience, which means next year they can, you know, kind of make a run. If you, <laughs> I'm not comparing them to the Chiefs, but this year the, the Chiefs were able to make a run after just being in the postseason with Patrick Mahomes uh, last year and the year before that. So they've learned how to play in the playoffs. They've learned how to win in the playoffs. And they kept taking that next step until they eventually won the whole thing. The 49ers, though, look at the 49ers. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo has experience in the playoffs and in the Super Bowl with the Patriots, but that was as a backup. And the San Francisco 49ers were able to make a nice little run this year. And if the Bills can follow that model, they could go from, you know, a wild card into, you know, a, a pretty solid place in the 2020 playoffs. Better play from their offense, more experienced play from Josh Allen and Brian Dable who was just calling plays in his first playoff game just a couple weeks ago. I mean, if, if we expect other people to take steps forward their second time around or third time around, we would expect that Brian Dable would take steps forward in his second and third time around going forward as well. So I think all of the experience the Bills got this year, the fact that they're keep, keeping their entire coaching staff together, they are able to take that next step with the offense. I don't think it's crazy to look at 2020 as the start of the Bills' Super Bowl window. And um, we saw this with the Seattle Seahawks a little bit with Russell Wilson when he was on his rookie deal and they were able to keep that great defense together. I think you can really make an impact with a quarterback on his rookie deal playing a little bit above his weight in his third and fourth years of his rookie contract as you have a stout defense on the other side of the ball giving him more chances. I'm certainly not predicting a Bills Super Bowl run in 2020 uh, or, or any time after that. But if it's going to happen, it's probably going to happen in the next three years. So it might as well be in 2020 with the Patriots having some question marks on their team, uh, the Bills being battle tested, but also having salary cap space to work with to add pieces to, to make that run. And I'm really looking forward to it, uh, even though I'm not predicting it. Thanks for your question on Twitter, Kim. She reached us at Rumlings Q and A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. Now on to this week's question I'm getting a lot, which has everything to do with Greg Olson. Uh, when it was announced over the weekend that Greg Olson uh, was going to be parting ways with the Carolina Panthers, of course, folks started looking at the Buffalo Bills and Washington as you know, landing spots for the former Carolina Panthers tight end. Of course, in Washington, his former head coach, Ron Rivera, is is the new head coach there. And so that makes sense. Uh, but Washington's pretty far away from being a, a Super Bowl contender, uh, being in the playoffs. And if you look a little bit further north in Buffalo, the Bills were in the playoffs this year. They've got a great defense, an up and coming offense and have the potential to make a run similar to what the Carolina Panthers did when Olsen was down there with Cam Newton as his quarterback and Sean McDermott was defensive coordinator. So all those connections kind of help the Bills with Greg Olson. They've got Brandon Bean, the general manager, who is with the Panthers organization. They've got McDermott, who is with the Panthers organization. And they also have Greg Olson's former tight ends coach, Rob Boris, as their tight ends coach. That's a, a little known 
little tidbit for you guys. Uh, Rob Boris was the Chicago Bears tight ends coach when Greg Olson started his career in Chicago. So there's a lot of familiarity with Olson on the Bills coaching staff. And so if, if they think he's got what it takes, then I'm fully on board with it. Uh, he would be equivalent to the Frank Gore signing a year ago, I think, um, where they bring in a, a trusted veteran to kind of be a leader in the offensive room. But I think he has a little bit more left in the tank than Frank Gore does. So it'll be very interesting to see if the Bills can convince Greg Olson to come up to Buffalo and uh, and be a part of this team. Uh, I think they have a good chance. They're the first team that he's visiting on his free agency tour. So the Bills will have the first bite at the apple and maybe they can lock him in a room somewhere and make sure he doesn't leave. Um, Greg Olson would probably replace Tyler Croft in the situation here. I am getting questions about that as well. We're running a series of articles on Tuesday at Buffalo Rumblings. We had already planned it. It just kind of worked out that it coincided with Greg Olson's uh, visit as well, uh, where we talk about Lee Smith and Tyler Croft. Uh, we analyzed their uh, 2020 game tape. We talk about the financial ramifications of releasing them. And we also talk about possible replacement options, which it turns out Greg Olson is one of them. I'm a bigger fan of Lee Smith than most people, so I'm not going to really talk about releasing him. I think they're going to keep him either way. A million dollars of his 2020 salary is already guaranteed, and he plays a different role than Olsen. He's more of a, a blocker, uh, and he played about 25-30% of the snaps for Buffalo in 2020. Even after Brian Dable moved upstairs and started going away from the two tight end sets, he still played a fair amount of snaps in 2019. So even if he's not going to be like the trusted veteran in the room and you're going to look at Greg Olson instead, I think they can still find a spot on this team for Lee Smith in 2020 if they want. But let's take a look at the salary cap implications of, of, Tyler, of releasing Tyler Croft. Uh, he's set to make $6.4 million in cap hit in 2020. 4.5 of that is in salary. So they can cut that and not have to pay him $5 million, including a roster bonus and a workout bonus. It's over $5 million. So I think that that's a good move on their part, especially if they can sign Olsen for the same money they were going to be paying uh, Croft. Uh, right now, they're set to pay Tyler Croft, $11.6 million over the next two seasons. If you turn around and offer Greg Olson two years and $11 million, not only are you saving $600,000, I think you're getting an improved player, plus a guy that's been there and done that before. Uh, no offense to Tyler Croft's former teams, but you know he hasn't been to a Super Bowl like Greg Olson has. He hasn't done it in this league at the same level as Greg Olson has done it. So I would much rather have Greg Olson on this team, even though he's significantly older. And a lot of that has to do with what I see in Dawson Knox and his emergence. Uh, if the Bills can bring in Olson to bring Knox to the next level, then I'm all for that kind of veteran leadership. Uh, just quickly looking at Lee Smith's cap hit, I told you he had a million dollars guaranteed in 2020. Uh, his cap hit is $3.25 million, and he's got $2.65 million in salary due. So it's only another $1.65 million to keep him around in 2020, so I'm definitely keeping him around, um, unless they just really are looking at the offense and saying, how are we going to even use Lee Smith? Um, it, if they're looking at that and they can't figure that out, well, that's a different conversation, but it's a conversation you can have at the end of August. Um, you don't need to have that right now. I'm fully on board with replacing Tyler Croft with Greg Olson. I think the financials will work out. I think it makes sense for both sides, not just the Carolina to Buffalo pipeline. 
So that's the question I'm getting a lot this week and it has everything to do with Greg Olson. Coming off the Super Bowl, there was a lot of talk about Mike Shanahan blowing the big one again. He, of course, was the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons when they blew their 28-3 lead over the New England Patriots a few years ago. And now he blew another lead, this one 10 points, over Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. But I'm not talking about the second half with Shanahan. When I look at the game, I looked and... Um, I saw something familiar at the end of the first half out of Kyle Shanahan, and it's something we've seen from Sean McDermott. It's an unwillingness to push the ball down the field right before the half, even with three timeouts and even with uh, time on the clock. So let's set the stage from the Super Bowl. Uh, Kyle Shanahan at the end of the first half with a minute 53 left. Um, the 49ers defense stopped the Chiefs offense on third and 14. But instead of calling timeout, Shanahan let the clock keep running. 48 seconds came off the clock. The 49ers got the ball back with just under a minute left, but they still had three timeouts. With the score tied 10 to 10 against Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs explosive offense, he should have been trying to score more points. He should have given his offense a minute 45 instead of 59 seconds to go down and score right before the half and then get the ball back at halftime at the start of the third quarter and try and score again to put some distance between his team and the other team. Now, they, the, the 49ers had only held the ball three times in the first half. They scored on two of them. They scored 10 points, had really nice drives on two of the three uh, possessions that they had in the first half. It's not like they should be, like, I don't know, terrified or scared that Jimmy Garoppolo or someone on the offense is going to completely, you know, screw it up. By letting the clock run down, he essentially said his offense had to be nearly perfect in order to score points over the last 59 seconds of that first half. And they almost pulled it off. They had a 20-yard pass that moved to their own 45-yard line. But by that time, there was only 20 seconds left in the first half. So it took them 40 seconds to move 20 yards. But they're at midfield, and they still had timeouts. Uh, on the next play, there was a beautiful pass and catch to George Kittle. It was overturned uh, because of an offensive pass interference call that you might call ticky-tack, but whatever. You've taken away your room for error because you took away those 45 seconds or whatever by not calling timeout when the Chiefs had the ball. And it, because it was first and 20 from their own 35-yard line, now the 49ers take a knee and go into halftime tied 10-10 to -10 against a super explosive offense. And it didn't cost the San Francisco 49ers the game, but it really limited their ability to put away the, the, the Chiefs later in the game. And we've seen this from Sean McDermott, where he's punted when he shouldn't uh, in the Snovertime game against the Indianapolis Colts. The Bills needed to go down and score to win that game in order to have a chance to make the playoffs in 2017. Like Shanahan, McDermott took away his offense's margin for error. Um, he actually punted and didn't even know the Bills were going to get the ball back. With four minutes left in the game, the Colts had been running it down the Bills' throat. And if they had just kept running out the clock, running out the clock, the Bills would have been up the creek. They wouldn't have been able to get the ball back, score, and win the game. Even the Colts just could have run out the clock. He took away the margin for error, but it worked out anyway. The defense held them on three straight uh, running plays. The Bills get the ball back 
they had their emergency quarterback find I think Kelvin Benjamin on a big play or Deontay Thompson on a big play. And eventually they're able to run down and score with LaShawn McCoy in overtime and win the game. It worked out. And so a lot of people questioned me at the time when I questioned Sean McDermott, but it's the same concept. It's understanding the game situation. And we saw it play out in the Super Bowl at the end of the first half. Now, Sean McDermott has been getting better with things like this. He's been going for it more on fourth down, but at the end of the first half against the Houston Texans in the wildcard game, we saw something similar to this happen. With a minute 17 left on the edge of Stephen Hauschka's range, the Bills gained six yards on second and eight, but then let 40 seconds run off the clock as they tried to get the figure out the right play. And that's not bad. You know, making sure that they convert on third and two was a big deal. So taking that 40 seconds is fine, but then they called timeout with 30 seconds left. After that is what I had a problem with. They had no timeouts left and inexplicably called a one-yard run to Frank Gore. Now, they didn't think it was going to be one yard, but, I mean, it's Frank Gore. He's your between-the-tackles running back who's 36 years old. Did they think he was going to break it for a touchdown from whatever it was, the 30-yard line or the 25-yard line? I didn't think that. And so now the Bills have to go up and, and spike it, and now it's third down with 15 seconds left because you ran a one-yard run with Frank Gore. Instead, they should have taken two or three shots at the end zone or at least down near the goal line to give themselves a chance at scoring a touchdown later. You know, get half of it on one play, have a guy get out of bounds or get half of it on one play and then go up and clock it and, you know, have 15 seconds left to take, you know, two or three shots at the end zone. That's what they should have done. Um, But instead, they only had one play that went to the end zone. Uh, It was Duke Williams drop and then they kicked a field goal. So the Bills didn't, you know, get royally screwed out of points on that possession. But even in a game where he's getting better and he has his growth mindset where he's getting better at understanding these game situations, the Bills had you know, a bad run at the end of the first half against the Houston Texans. And this is why we harp on it. We harp on it because it matters in big games and because it matters against the Texans and because it matters in the Super Bowl. And so I haven't been getting a whole lot of hate now after people have been watching uh, Kyle Shanahan kind of muck it up in the Super Bowl. But it's why we talk about this, even if it's week 12 or week 14 or in the wild card game, because eventually if for the Bills to get to where they want to go, they're going to have to make the right decisions at these key moments. And so practicing that, flexing that muscle is exactly what I want the Bills to do in week two so that they can do it in more important games. I laid out an entire article with all that at buffalorumblings.com. You can check out, and I'll include a link in the show notes. Let's head over to Instagram for our next question from you guys. Lanza585 asks us, how do we convince elite free agents to want to come to Buffalo besides offering them excessive amounts of money? I talked about this a little bit in my conversation about Greg Olson earlier in the podcast. The Bills have a solid defense. They have an up-and-coming quarterback. They've been to the playoffs this year. They have solid uh, organizational stability between Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. Even their coordinators haven't been leaving. So they've got solid organizational stability. They've built a great culture and free agents are talking. And so guys like Tredavious White going to the Pro Bowl and having conversations with other potential free agents or even guys just are, that are on other teams and and saying, you know, the good things that are happening in Buffalo, I think it's it's important. Different free agents are going to want different things out of where they land and some 
free agents may want a home that they can live in 12 months a year. Um, a lot of people that play in Buffalo only are here for the season and then go back to warmer weather or wherever they're from in the off season. But at the same time, if you come to Buffalo and you help this team win or turn it around, you can become a legend. And if you look at the Bills legends that you know they trot out every time a free agent comes to town, whether it's Thurman Thomas or Bruce Smith, uh, Steve Tasker, Andre Reid, uh, Jim Kelly, of course, you know they, you can see this community rallying around them. And Bills fans uh, play a big role in that. Uh, if somebody wants, you know, this massive nightlife scene or yachts and mansions, it's probably not the place for every free agent. But that's okay. Uh, if if you're only taking them from the airport to the city of Buffalo and then to the training facility in Orchard Park. It's probably not going to be too appealing to a lot of free agents. So it's got to make it about the football, make it about the team, make it about the fans. Thanks for your question over on Instagram. That's at Buffalo Rumblings. episode of Buffalo Rumblings Q&A. As a reminder, you can submit your questions for next week's episode at 716-508-0405. That's our voicemail line, and it's available 24 hours a day. You can tweet us at Rumblings Q&A. That's with the word and spelled out in the middle. You can send us Facebook messages, Instagram messages. Email is Rumblings at sbnation.com. Make sure you're checking out all of the Buffalo Rumblings podcasts on the Buffalo Rumblings podcast network. We've got five or six shows every week to fill your ears even during the down points in the offseason. Go Bills!